The Rhine is running dry. Dropping water levels in Germany's crucial river are threatening its shipping industry. So what will that mean for Europe's largest economy that's been struggling in recent months? I'm Mohamed Jamjoum, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. All right, let's go ahead and bring in our guests. In Berlin, Ulrich Bruckner, professor of political science at Stanford University in Berlin. In the Hungarian city of Vesprem, Nick Sitter, professor of public policy at Central European University and BI Norwegian Business School. And in Cologne, Hubertus Bart, managing director and head of research at the German Economic Institute. A warm welcome to you all, and thanks so much for joining us on Inside Story today. Ulrich, let me start with you. If the Rhine becomes too difficult to navigate, how big of an impact does that end up having in Germany, both politically and economically? Well, what we are doing now is to speculate about two things no one will have an answer about. The one thing is we don't know what the weather will be. And the other thing is we never know what social developments will pile up to. It can be a very calm winter and people understand. And those who criticize the government are a clear minority and public opinion is in strong support of the government. But these are the crucial factors. What we can expect from the government is to prepare. We can also expect that large corporations, individuals understand how serious the situation is, but we neither know what the weather is. We can not even deduce from climate change as such, because there's a fundamental difference between weather and climate change. And we never know what is the turning point in social developments in which people get upset with the government, and then it will be the end of that coalition in Germany. Uh, Hubertus, uh, let me ask you, uh, how much will shipping disruptions impact Germany's economy? I don't think that um, what is happening at the Rhine River now is the major problem of the German economy right now. We, we always have um, moments and months um, where capacities on the Rhine are limited. And if there are floods, ships must be slower, or, or shipping is is uh, totally stopped. The same is true of capacities reduced or shipping might be might be stopped um, in in um, months, weeks and months um, of droughts and uh, very low levels. We have had that before. We have had that, for example, four years before. Mm. And a couple of couple of weeks are fine. Companies can be prepared. There's more longer term. Um, we have to take care of the longer term development. But what's crucial right now is that we need um, more coal because we need additional coal to replace Russian gas. And we don't have um, spare capacities um, in, in, the, in the train industry, for example. We don't, we don't have the carriages um, of the railways anymore. And, and so we need, we need that river to, to um, transport the coal to where it is needed. Nick, um, you heard uh, Hubertus there just talk about the, the issue of, of coal and how the flow of coal right now uh, is in jeopardy. Uh, as I understand it, um, you know, that means that there could be shortages at coal-fired power plants in the next couple of months. What kind of impact would a coal shortage have now for Germany, especially as Germany is attempting to lessen its dependence on Russian gas? I think what we're going to see here is that what we thought of as perhaps an energy issue or an environmental issue really has a broader strategic issue. So I think despite all the uncertainty, uh, a coal shortage will, will clearly have an effect on energy prices, not just in Germany, but in all of Europe. 
And if there's a shortage of energy, I think what we're really looking at is the possibility of rationing. And we're certainly looking at the possibility of a decline of the German economy, which will have an enormous effect on all the Central European countries as well. What I would add to what we've heard is uh, the, the, the danger of uh, what you might call a political effect of, of populist protest on the left and the right against uh, particularly higher energy prices, which may destabilize governments. We've seen a very, very good example of that in Italy this summer. Uh, Ulrich, um, you heard uh, Hubertus there talk about the fact that what's happening with the Rhine right now has happened before. The last time was, as he said, in 2018. Um, you know, German industry lost billions of dollars then as, as a result. Is the government going to have to come up with some kind of a plan to better deal with this going forward? Can they? Well, it is not just one factor, and then we have to focus on this and we move out of energy dependency or stabilize the situation. Over the beginning of the war until today, there have been so many factors that affected the energy security situation in general. We expected that if we have a shortage, we can count on nuclear energy in France, and then it turned out that they don't have enough water to cool their nuclear power plants, and they needed support from other countries. We needed an European solution for how do we practically enforce solidarity in case one of the EU members is getting in trouble, but this is just a framework, and we don't know yet who at what point is having problems based on what kind of shortage. This is such a sensitive, unstable equilibrium at the moment that it's too early to tell whether it will be the Rhine or whether it will be another shortage. It can even be a terrorist attack on one of the gas storages, and that will have a major effect on energy prices and not only particularly on gas. Nick, I want to take a step back for a moment and, and look at a, a wider issue here. One of the reasons that people are so concerned about all this right now is because of Russia cutting energy supplies to the European Union. From your perspective, is the EU coming up with an effective strategy for gradually reducing its dependency on Russian gas? Oh, yeah, I, th I think it very much is. I mean, already this spring, uh, March and April, we saw the beginnings of an outline of a plan which involves replacing some of Russia's pipeline gas with gas from other countries through pipeline. That means Norway, that means Azerbaijan, that means North Africa. A second element of it is replacing pipeline gas with liquefied natural gas shipped in uh, by boat. And a third element is uh, more use of other energy sources. That's coal, that's nuclear, that's alternative energy. And a fourth, of course, is energy savings, which we see a number of European countries have put into practice already with guidelines about uh, how far you can cool public buildings in the summer and heat them in the winter. So I think there's already a plan coming together here. What, where I think the tension is going to be is, is two things. One is the cost. How do we distribute the cost of higher energy and particularly how far do you push it on the cons onto the consumer? Each European country has come up with a different model. And the second is the issue of solidarity, where, for example, countries like Spain are asking why they should contribute in solidarity to what is, in their view, the consequence of Germans relying on cheap Russian gas, which had a security problem, uh, element, which wasn't recognized until now. Uh, Hubertus, it looked to me like you were nodding along to some of what Nick was saying there. Did you want to jump in? Well, I, I, th I think, indeed, it's, it's a, um, 
a big project for Europe and Germany, especially to, to reduce um, its, its consumption of um, energy from Russia. And, um, we, we got about half of coal from Russia last year and the year before last year, and that has, that has already been stopped. Um, we, are, we are getting, um, or we are limiting to zero, going down to zero oil imports from Russia, and, and we are also reducing significantly um, the, the gas um, imports from Russia. So, but, but that means that we need additional sources and we need additional capacities. Because what's, what's then missing is not just the amount of energy resources, it's also the transport capacity. And that's one of the, um, one of the bottlenecks we are facing. Um, it's LNG terminals, it's LNG ships, it's coal ships, it's coal uh, transport um, capacities um, on the rivers and, and, on, um, and on the railway. That's, that's um, mm. a scarcity in, in that moment. Or that's a difficult, bottle, difficult bottleneck. At, at that moment, and the, the fact that we can't use the Rhine River on full capacity um, can make that bottleneck um, hurtful for, for a lot of companies, and indeed can um, additionally rise the energy prices. Uh, Hubertus, when it comes to this bottleneck, and when it comes to talking again about the Rhine River, um, I mean, from your perspective, are there concrete measures that could be taken to ensure that the Rhine can still be used by ships even during times of droughts, let's say? There's no short-term measure you can do, but we are discussing about deepening the Rhine River, or at least deepening it in that part of the Rhine where the ships um, are going. Um, um, but that's a long-term project that has been discussed now, and, and the government wants to, to start that project, but that will be, will be ready in the early 2030s, so in 10 years' time. But when we are talking about climate change and about um, well, less rain in, in summer or more periods of drought and, and low levels um, of, of water in the river. That's one of the um, adaptation measures which is necessary to ensure that the, the transport capacity of that natural, uh, of that natural street is still there. Uh, Ulrich, I, I know you talked earlier about how difficult it is to predict what's going to happen going forward. I mean, there is no crystal ball you can gaze in to, to see what is going to happen. But, but let me ask you about the mood of the German people right now. Are they largely supportive of the government's policies thus far, or, or is, you know, real concern growing? Well, our government just came into power a year ago, and the general spirit was the spirit of change. And the change was about, let's guide Germany out of the fossil-based econ uh, economy. And so the general sentiment is they are doing the right thing, and they want not only to get independent from imports of fossil fuel from Russia, but they want to relaunch the German economy based on renewables. So from that perspective, there is a lot of acceptance that one could expect, unless there are major problems in the way it is managed, and that remains to be seen if there will be major problems. But I think Germany is an underperformer in terms of resilience. If you just see what happened in Finland when they learned what the new situation is about energy security, they raised an eyebrow, and then they activated Plan B and got independent from Russia like this. And even Italy, that is not known with sort of long-term strategies to prepare for what if they manage far, much faster than Germany to move out and fill their gas storages in a situation that wasn't the easiest for the Draghi government. And Germany right now is more improvising. They communicate pretty well. 
when it comes to the energy minister who knows how to address the people, but whether he will be able to do this over the whole course of the winter, that remains to be seen. Nick, I saw you uh, reacting there to what uh, Ulrich was saying, and it looked like you wanted to uh, uh, contribute to it. So go ahead, please. Yes, I think this is I think this is a very, very important point that the real test ahead uh, is, is the coming four to eight months. It's the winter. I mean, what we're looking at here is a situation, uh, to put it in geopolitical perspective, where I think Putin is trying to create, encourage, exploit as much division as he can in Europe. And that means he has a kind of window of opportunity over the winter when Europe is really, really vulnerable. And, and that's why I think this kind of communication that we're getting uh, from uh, the German energy minister saying we need to get through the winter is, is tremendously important. And I think these examples of, of Italy and Finland moving to get um, things into place to cope with the winter is important. The reason I'm saying that is, that, is I think uh, we often underestimate the asymmetry in the relationship between the EU and Russia. The EU is enormously vulnerable in the coming, say, four to eight months. But after that, it's Russia that's vulnerable because the gas it used to sell to European markets has nowhere else to go. So the EU faces a short-term issue. But if we get through that, I think the real problem is Russia's. And, and Nick, just to follow up with you, I mean, how likely is it from your perspective that we're going to see uh, Germany uh, and, and the EU as, you know, the other EU countries as well, relying on energy rationing going forward? I, th I think it's a very, very real possibility. I think they'll all try and avoid it as much as possible. Uh, but I think what we see, uh, particularly in Germany and Austria, is that uh, the government is preparing the ground for some rationing to hit industry. I think what we're, that, that's at least possible. What we're already seeing is that governments across Europe are instructing public build, uh, people in charge of public buildings to not cool them beyond 26 degrees in the summer, not heat them be, be, be beyond 18 or 20 in the winter. That's already a form of rationing. Uh, Hubertus, I could be wrong. It looked like you had a point you wanted to make. Uh, yeah, but I just wanted to add the, the main the main point here is the rationing of natural gas. It's not not so much. I mean, we have to cope with with um, electricity production. We have to get that organized. We have to cope with high prices, which is the the, the, the significant um, social problem. But uh, when we talk about energy rationing, it's it's a natural gas ration, rationing for um, manufacturing companies. And that very much depends on two things. First, or three things. Will we still get those 20% uh, from Russia that we get right now? Second, how good are we in saving um, um, gas and then reducing consumption? And, and the third and a bit underestimated one is, is the weather. If we'll have a mild winter with um, no, not too much heating um, necessities and heating um, gas consumption in private households, it will be much easier than if it would be a very cold winter where um, a gas consumption um, will be much higher and, and um, the, the risk of, um, well, of, of scarcity of natural gas um, significant, will be significantly higher as well. Uh, Ulrich, I, I saw you reacting just now to uh, what uh, Hubertus was saying. Did you want to jump in? Yeah, as I said, these are the necessary preconditions that the government manages it well and that it communicates it well, and that the storages are full, and that everyone is gotten on board, and that the social costs for particular groups that are more vulnerable are addressed by what the government could do to help them. 
but these are only necessary. It could always be that someone taps the potential for social unrest, and then it's not a matter of objective criteria, and still things can get out of control. If we don't prepare well, then it will get out of control. But there is no such thing like if we only reach 80% of storage or 100, then we will be fine, because it depends on so many other things, because it's in the nature of a pluralist system that everyone can every time criticize everything, and you never know what boils up to something that becomes a serious problem of the government, which is a major difference in an autocratic regime in which you can oppress public opinion. Um, Hubertus, you know, you have at the moment a war in Ukraine, you have a, a pandemic, uh, you have drought, you have supply chain issues, you have all these factors that are in play right now. How much concern is there right now that Europe's largest economy is on the brink of recession? And, and how likely is a recession? We already started to, or we already stopped the recovery process after, after the pandemic. Half a year ago, or seven months ago, um, the expectations have been that we would have growth rates of about 4% in, in Germany, 3 to 4%. And now expectations are one and a half in, in average for the whole year, but we already have had um, zero growth in the second quarter, probably um, negative or very low positive growth in uh, you know, the, the next two quarters. Um, and the main issue here right now is the high, high energy prices. So yes, I think um, recession in, in Germany is, is um, quite probable, and especially in manufacturing sector. Services are still fine and services are, are growing and that's a large part of the economy. But um, um, regarding the, the, the manufacturing industries, we are looking into um, a short-term future with negative growth rates. Nick, I know that we've, we've touched on this a bit in other answers in this conversation today, but I do want to take it back real quick to the issues that are affecting uh, the Rhine right now. Um, if water levels on the Rhine continue to sink, I mean, what other alternatives will companies have when it comes to sending freight up and down the waterway. And beyond that, if they're not able to do that, um, if the companies are scrambling to carry freight in other ways, what are the other ways they can do this? It seems like it would take much more effort, far more trucks, for example, to carry freight than it would with a barge. Yes, I mean, it, it's, uh, I don't have the details on it, but it's clear that if you start looking at freight uh, by truck or rail, you, you're, you're looking at a uh, much, much, much lesser volumes at much, much, much higher prices. And I think I'd, I'd like to go back to the point about this being an enormous uh, bottleneck. That's really the, the, the kind of problem that, that we have. And in a way, this is about spare capacity, but it's, of course, difficult to have very much spare capacity to, to waterways. So I'm afraid that leaves us uh, rather in a bind. And, and Nick, just very quickly, we only have about a minute and a half left. Um... From your perspective, are there any concrete steps that could be taken right away that would reduce this bottleneck? Ooh, um, no, it re we really need to, I think, uh, I think the problem is that we need to really look at using less of the goods that's being transported by, uh, by, by water. I just don't think the alternatives are, are strong enough or have the capacity to do this enough. And the extra point I sort of, want to get in at the end here, mm -hmm. is, is do not underestimate the impact this will have on Central Europe, on the countries that are dependent on the German economy. All right. Well, we have run out of time, so we're going to have to leave the conversation there. Thanks so much to all of our guests, Ulrich Bruckner, Nick Sitter, and Hubertus Bart.
That's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Mohamed Aishi, Kara Legg, Michael Harwood, and Jimmy Gerahun. Studio sound was by Siraj Sankar. The program was edited by Vinesh Velilat, Linda Wynn, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Monday.